Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us at Compass today. And uh, it's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all the moms, especially to my mom. I know you're watching live, so uh, happy Mother's Day. Good morning. I love you. You're the best. And uh, Cameron's going to deliver something out to you in just a minute, so be ready. Um, Before we get started, though, I just had a couple quick things I wanted to talk to you about uh, getting into the message. But we are, for all intents and purposes right now, we are an online church. We are a church that exists online. And uh, because of that, that has required us to make a couple little tweaks and changes to how we do ministry and to really think about how can we effectively keep making God accessible to everyone throughout all of this. And so uh, the first thing that you can help us with is this. As an online church, uh, literally the best thing that you can do to help reach people through the ministries of Compass is to just share. Share what we're doing online. Share this service. Share when we post videos or or. or images or testimonies or devotionals. If you can share, 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 you can help us to reach people who don't know Jesus. And I want you to know this. You don't know it because uh, we're not meeting on Sundays and you are probably in in person and you are probably not meeting these people. Uh, But there are a lot of people who have never walked through the doors of Compass who are connecting with our church because of our online ministry right now. Um, There are a bunch of people who have given their lives to Christ for the first time through all of this and through the online ministry of our church. Most of those have never been to a service at Compass. There are people who've never been through our doors who are uh, asking how to read the Bible. Where should they start? Asking how can I grow in my relationship with him? So God is still working. This is working. Um, and, and I just want to encourage you, be a part of it. We're an online church. Uh, when you're excited about something online, what do you do? You share. You share recipes, you share funny videos, share Compass content, uh, not because our content is king, but because we want to be able to reach people with the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So as an online church, please help us with that. And I want you to know as well, there's going to be some announcements coming this week with some specifics that we've been thinking through. How can we best... leverage the ministry that God's given us online. And so uh, you're going to hear some announcements this week upcoming about some online virtual groups that are going to be started very soon uh, because we really want to uh, do a better job of developing community and encouraging community and helping you. Maybe you've been home and you just feel like you need people. Uh, We want to be able to do that. And so that's going to be coming soon. And we're also going to have an announcement coming up about um, multiple services, multiple live streams, um, and so, and the effectiveness of that and how we can better reach people through that. So just stay tuned. Uh, really, there's just lots of exciting stuff that God is doing through our church. And I would hate for you to not be a part of it because you feel like right now is just a waiting period. So stay connected with us. And uh, man, let's, let's make God accessible to everyone in our community. So it's Mother's Day. Uh, moms, you are the coolest. You are the best. We love you. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, you suffer and you give, and you sacrifice, and we absolutely love you. And and we know that the best moms always put the needs of their kids first. And moms put up with a lot. I know that my mom put up with a lot. Um, and in our house, I think the thing that my mom probably put up with the most was bad attitudes. We had a lot of bad attitudes in my home. Now, I'm not going to talk about my sisters right now, because um, honestly, I'd be talking all day if I was talking about bad attitudes. But let me just talk about a bad attitude that I had one time. This is probably what I would call an act of civil disobedience that I engaged in at home one time. 
I was getting into it with my sister. I was probably in junior high. I was really getting into it with her, and she was being stupid, obviously. I was right. She was clearly wrong, but we were getting into this fight, and things were getting elevated, and things were getting loud, and my mom stepped in to stop this fight that was happening. And I was so mad at my sister, and I felt like my mom didn't understand how wrong my sister was, and, and I felt like the only way that I could communicate to my mom about how terrible my sister was being and how wrong she was, was to put it in language that she could really grasp the gravity of what I was feeling. Uh, Terry's covering her face right now. And I felt like the only way I could do that would be to communicate to my mom what my sister was, or at least what I felt like she was, in very colorful language. Language is probably not appropriate for a church live stream. So I wound up and I said, but mom, she's being a really bad sister. But I used, I used more colorful language than that because I felt like in that moment uh, that um, it was worth whatever was going to follow to use a swear word to describe my sister to my mother. Now, here's the thing. I knew that when at that point, when you used language like that in my house, that my mom was on this, this kick where you washed your mouth out with soap. So I looked at my mom in the eye. I said, but mom, she's being a boop. And then I turned around, stomped to the bathroom, grabbed the hand soap, turned back around, looked my mom in the face and started pumping soap into my mouth as if to say, it was worth it. It was worth it. And then as I finished filling my mouth with hand soap, looking my mom right in the face, I turned back to the bathroom and spit it out and rinsed it out. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that my punishment, which was well-deserved, my punishment, which would have come anyway, do you think that punishment was satisfying to my mom at all? Absolutely not. Because the attitude behind my punishment was terrible. It was defiant. And the thing is that the attitude behind our actions matter right? And so I had my mouth washed out with soap, but the attitude behind it completely ruined all of it. And parents get that. Like if you're a parent, you know that the attitude behind something matters. If I'm sitting at the table with my kids and, and I'm like, hey, you guys need to eat your vegetables or you're not going to get up from the table. If my kid looks at me and takes a handful of vegetables off their plate with their hand and shoves it in their mouth and goes, there's that better. And then chokes them down. That doesn't work for me because the attitude behind it, even though they ate the vegetables, the attitude behind it is terrible. Attitudes communicate more than actions. And that's why as parents, Terry and I, we, we defined obedience for our kids early on. So we defined it in three ways. Obedience is right away. And so if I ask you to make your bed and you wait two hours to make your bed, that's not obedience because obedience is right away. You do it now. Obedience is exactly if I ask you to make your bed, uh, you don't just pick your pillows up off the floor and throw them on there. No, you make your bed. So obedience is doing exactly what I asked you to. And here's the big one. Obedience is cheerfully. And so if I ask you to make your bed and you stomp up the stairs, and you're going, oh, that's so stupid. And you're muttering on your breath. I hate this. I sleep in it. You don't sleep in it. I, who even cares? And you're making your bed that way. I don't care if you have hospital sheets and military corners on that bed. You did not obey because you didn't obey right away. Exactly. And you didn't obey cheerfully. Now we did that because we wanted to train our kids, not just to do the right things. We wanted to train them to have the right attitude while they were doing it. Because attitude matters, and attitude communicates more than action. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul believed this. And in this Cabin Fever message series, we've been talking about 
what the Apostle Paul was feeling, what he was thinking about, and what was on the front of his mind while he was under house arrest for two years in Rome. And the reason we're asking that is because I, I have this feeling, it's like, is there anybody in the New Testament who is going through what we are going through right now, who was who is um, isolated, who had to deal with social distancing, who didn't have connections with people the way that they used to, and, and surprisingly enough, discovered that Paul did. And even better than that, Paul wrote letters to churches during this time that we have in the New Testament. And one of those letters is the book of Philippians, which is a letter to a church that he wrote in a city called Philippi. And we can see in this letter that attitude mattered a lot to Paul. The attitude was something that he was thinking about. And in fact, he wrote in, in the book of Philippians what I think is a key hinge verse in the New Testament. Uh, there's a saying that I love, that great events turn on small hinges. And I feel like that this verse is a hinge on which much of the New Testament, I would say this, this verse is a hinge that the whole of the gospel and Christianity and much of the New Testament swing on this verse. And it's also a passage that we talk about and look at a lot at Compass. And it's Philippians chapter two, verse five. It starts this way. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So Paul comes out of the gate right away swinging. He's saying, listen, the attitude Jesus had, you need to have that same attitude. Well, what is that attitude, Paul? What, what, what are you talking about specifically? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. So in short, Jesus' attitude springs from Jesus's actions. We can see what Jesus did. Jesus had all the rights and the privileges of, of being God. And he put those rights and privileges aside and he, he became a human being and not just a human being, right? Jesus didn't Jesus wasn't born a human being as a prince in some palace destined to be king of the world. No, Jesus was born in a barn to people who were poor, uh, to people who had very little. So Jesus was born in, in really humble beginnings. And then even, even beyond that, Jesus humbled himself even more, gave up more of his rights and privileges as, as God, and, and he gave his life on a cross for us. See, Jesus's attitude was this, was, was, was to give up his rights and his privileges for the good of others. Now, before I continue, I, I feel like I should maybe prepare you a little bit. Okay, so um, as I was writing this message, I just felt like God was just, I don't know, drilling something into my heart, and I was kind of prepping it and writing it. And, and you know that if you've been part of Compass at all, I'd really like to be encouraging. I like to just point people to Jesus and, and let people walk in life. Uh, as I was writing this, I put it down. I sent Terry the notes because she's she went over it and looked at it for me. And she was like, she's like, wow, you're not just going to be stepping on toes today. You're going to be stepping on feet. So if I step on your feet, I'm sorry. Just know that I'm doing it in love and I'll take off my heavy shoes. So if I step on your feet, I'll do it barefoot today. So let's look at this. Let's look at the attitude of Jesus. Jesus, his attitude was to give up his rights and privileges for the good of others. How did that, how did he live that out? And how is that lived out in our lives? So let me show you an example of how this was lived out in Jesus's life in a way that I think he is specifically um, pointing for us to live the same way. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, uh, we're going to see how Jesus lived this out and taught his disciples to live it out as well. 
And it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus had, had lived out his ministry with his disciples and he taught them his principles and, and he taught them about the coming kingdom of God, but he was kind of opaque and somewhat vague on some of the details. But there was this point where he was like, okay, guys, I'm going to be straight with you. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested uh, and they're going to torture me and they're going to kill me. Uh, and so he's just straight up with his disciples. And as he tells them this, Peter does this. He says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. It's like, Jesus, what are you, stop this. What are you talking about? You've built this great ministry. You've built this incredible thing. People are following you. You're the, you're the coming Messiah. We believe this. So you need to zip this stuff up about dying because the Jewish Messiah is not going to die. You know, you need to knock this off because this is never going to happen to you. And he's like, Jesus, do, do, do they not know who you are? And do you not realize who you are? You have rights, Okay. You have rights and they can't just come in and take them, those rights away from you. We will, f we'll fight for those rights. Okay. I'll get up all your hundreds and thousands of other people who follow you. I'll get all the 5,000 people who you fed bread and fish to that one time. And we will march. Uh, if anyone thinks that they're going to take your rights away from you and we will stand up against that tyranny because you are our King and we're not going to follow them. So that's Peter's attitude. And look what Jesus said says that Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Okay, stop. If Jesus looks you in the face and says, and, and calls you Satan, that should get your attention. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus, in addressing Peter's response to this, I think he kind of calls out what our, I mean, our human default response is. It's, it's, it's natural for us. And that's this, is to think about how does this affect me? How does this affect my life? How does this affect the people I care about? How does this affect the things that, that are important to me? And Peter was thinking about his own concerns. And Jesus called him out on it. And he said, you're, you're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about your own. You're thinking about yourself, not about what concerns God. And he's like, listen, if you want to follow me, you have to put down your aims for my aims. You have to put aside the things that, that you prioritize and pick up the things that, prior, that I prioritize. And and here's the thing, man, the cross, the cross is Jesus's ultimate sacrifice for others. The cross is this image of, of Jesus laying aside his privilege and rights as God, and then coming to the point where he laid down his life as a sacrifice for other people. The ultimate symbol of that, and it's, it's, it's literally putting everything else down. And Jesus says this, he says, if you are going to follow me, you need to do the same thing. You need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You need to literally put everything else down, 
be willing to lay down your goals, your aims, your priorities, and pick up mine. Lay down your, lay down your priorities, lay down your privileges, and like Jesus did, lay down your rights. Because here's the thing, and maybe this is the first step on your feet. Maybe this is just the tip of the toe. But you can take up your rights or you can take up your cross, but you can't take up both. You can take up your rights. You can cling to your privileges and you can cling to the things that you think you are due. You can cling to your rights or you can take up your cross and live your life for others like Jesus did, like God wants us to, but you can't do both. And the reason you can't do both is because the cross is always others focused. It's always others focused. I mean, and and think about this too. Like Peter, uh, Peter was one of Jesus's closest friends and closest disciples. And he still struggled with this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right when Jesus was going to be arrested, just probably days after this conversation happens, and the people come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Peter pulls a sword because he's going to fight for Jesus's rights and he's going to fight for their rights and he's going to hack people down to come against the tyranny of the Jewish government. He's willing to go he's willing to take it to his grave to fight for his rights and to fight for Jesus's rights. And he hacks off a guy's ear. And Jesus stops him and he says, "Put that sword away." And he picks up the guy who's coming to arrest him's ear and he heals him because Jesus lived for others. And And Jesus knew that even on his path to the cross, that the cross is others focused. And we need to live others focused if we are going to take up our cross. Now, um, this sounds tough, right? Because it's just like self-denial, self-denial, self-denial. Man, Christianity is just all about just like self-denial and beating yourself up. And it's not, okay? This is not just about self-denial. Like look look how what Jesus says after he hits them with this. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I mean, that's, that's everything, right? I mean, what more do we want than to live a rich and a full and an abundant life? What more do we want out of life than to discover a purpose and to live for something bigger than ourselves so that when we lay our head on the pillow before we pass on into the next life, that we can reflect back and say, you know what, I have no regrets because I lived, I lived the right way. I lived for the right things and my life was full. You see, this whole pro- this principle of taking up your cross, denying yourself, putting aside your own privileges and your own rights for others is about gaining the most important thing the most important thing you can gain because we find contentment when we think about ourselves less. Contentment and fullness of life comes when we think about others less. That's what Jesus knew. That's God's, that's the, that's the spiritual law that God created us for is that we will never find fullness and wholeness and abundance and contentment in life until we start thinking about ourselves less and start thinking about others more until we take up our cross and begin following Jesus. Because God's promise is this, is that when you take your eyes off of yourself, that's when you will truly find yourself. That's when you will truly find your life. Spiritual contentment, this spiritual contentment is a mystery. Because it's like this thing that you'll never find until you stop looking for it and start begin trying to provide it for others. 
Let me let me say that again. I just want to make I want to make sure you get that, okay? Spiritual contentment is weird because it's you can't find it until you stop looking for it. And you will only find it when you when you are looking for it for other people. Now, I I have been I've been gravely concerned about how I've observed many Christians and many people, but how I've observed many Christians responding um, to COVID-19 and responding to the, the pandemic and the crisis that's been going on. And I mean, it's social media, it's what we're on, it's, so it's where, where I'm seeing this. But I think that the attitude that a lot of Christians have is kind of like, you know, the singer meat, Meatloaf, you know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'll do anything for love, but I won't wear that mask, um, but I won't stay at home. I'll do anything for love, but I won't listen to or show respect um, for the medical experts who are trying to give me guidance and directions. I would do anything for love, uh, but I'm not going to let someone else's fear of this pandemic keep me from living the life that I want to live. Now, if I just stepped on your feet hard, I don't intend to because I love you and I care about you. And what I want for you is I want you to find your life. I want you, when you take up your cross, when you deny your own rights and your privileges for those of others, I want you to find your life in Christ. I want it to be full and abundant and whole. And that's why I think that this message may be the most important thing that we talk about in all of this. In all of this COVID-19 pandemic, this message may be perhaps the hinge that our ability to reach people with the gospel and our ability to live the life and experience the life that God has for us, I think that this message is the hinge that it swings on. This passage is the hinge that it swings on because there's a lot at stake right now because our response to COVID has, has more than political or economic consequences in our lives our response to COVID has eternal consequences in people's lives. You see, this is, not, this is not the first time that the church has lived through or dealt with a pandemic in the church's history. In fact, very early in the church's history, uh, Christians had to, had to respond to pan, multiple pandemics that ravaged the world. In the second century, um, just very close to the time when Jesus walked the earth. Uh, and there may have been first century Christians. There may have been people who saw Jesus who were just dying before this happened. But there was a plague in Rome called the Antonine Plague. And historians believe it was smallpox or smallpox-like. The Antonine Plague killed 25% of the Roman Empire. And one, one ancient writer, someone who lived through it, wrote this about the response of the citizens of Rome. At, first the, at the first onset of the disease, they, and he, he's talking about um, the pagans, which is not a derogatory term at the time, it was a religious term, uh, but he says this, the, the non-Christians, then the pagans at that time pushed the sufferers away and they fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and they treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby, thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease but do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. You see, in Rome at that time, it was, it was not a merciful culture, not a merciful society. And, and as people were getting sick and they realized it was spreading, if someone got it, they would literally just throw them out in the street until they died. 
bodies were just tossed around everywhere because they didn't want to touch them. They didn't want anything to do with them. And a majority of people with resources in Rome, they fled. And they fled because they wanted to protect themselves. They wanted to uh, protect what they had, to defend what they had. And they left even people they loved the most. But do you know what the Christians did in the second century? Now know this, Christianity was still very new. There were no churches in the sense that we know churches, no organization in the way that we know these things. But the Christians at the time, in a, in, in a way that was completely countercultural, they stayed and they cared for the sick. And in an unheard of act of sacrifice, many of them died caring for the sick. In the third century, there was another plague. This was the plague of Cyprian. This was an Ebola-like plague. So a hundred years later, uh, this Ebola-like plague again spread through Rome. And this plague was so bad, it almost, it led to the economic collapse of Rome. And it, it led to a civil war. And those two things combined with the disease nearly wiped out the Roman Empire. And do you know what Christians did then? Christians cared for the sick. And they offered a spiritual model that plagues are not the punishment from, of angry gods who, you know, who are capricious and, and at, the, at whatever whim, when they're disappointed in their people, they will just send a plague to destroy them. But instead, they set a spiritual model that plagues are a product of a broken creation. That only the gospel and people who live out the gospel, the actions and attitudes of people who live out the gospel could bring healing to. And again, the Christians cared for people. It was so shocking because they didn't just care for the Christians. Christians cared for pagans. They began to care for people who weren't Christians. And as Rome observed the actions of Christians, they began to see a different way of living. They began to see an attitude that went beyond actions that was radically different than anything that they had seen before. And what happened as a result of this, you know what happened both times, is it triggered the explosive growth of Christianity. Both plagues, because of the way Christians responded, Christianity rapidly exploded throughout Rome. And this was a catalyst that really made Christianity the greatest religion that existed in Rome at the time until it became the state religion. To the point where, where an emperor who existed at the time during one of these plagues, a uh, hundred years later, he was like, He's, he was talking to his leadership and he's like, guys, we have to do better. We have to do better taking care of our people because these Christians, these crazy Christians who follow this ridiculous religion, they're doing a better job taking care of our people than we are because the Christians were taking up their cross. They put down their rights and privileges and they lived for others with the attitude of Jesus. Know this, people's eternities are wrapped up in our attitudes. Someone's eternity is wrapped up in how you and I respond to the COVID-19 virus. Are you responding in a way that demands your rights? Are you responding in a way that says, I will not let anyone take my privileges away from me? Or are you responding in a way that says, yeah, yeah, I, I don't want my rights taken from me, but I'll do whatever I can to take up my cross and live for someone else. Because what's at stake right now may be generations of people who don't know Jesus. What's at stake right now might be the next generation of children who don't know Jesus. And our attitude is what could either attract them to the gospel or push them away from the gospel. 
And I'm just asking you, will you have the attitude of Jesus? Are you willing to put aside your rights in order to put someone else's needs before your own? Or will you cling to an attitude of privilege? An attitude that's unwilling to let go of your own way. An an attitude that's unwilling to stop demanding and fighting and screaming and yelling on social media that you're not going to take this. Are you willing to lay down your rights and take up the cross? The, The craziest thing about all this is that we don't have to take up a real cross. Today, we are not going to be crucified by following Jesus. We don't have to take it up on our back the way Jesus did and lay our hands and feet out on it and be nailed to a cross the way he was. It's, it's an attitude of taking up the cross for us, and it changes. What, is, what do we need to put aside and take up? And honestly, do you know what the symbol of the cross is today? It's a mask. It's a mask. Are you willing to lay down your own rights and privileges and take up the modern day cross of a mask? Not for yourself. Will you just put that on because you love someone else who's scared? Will you love someone else who might be at risk of catching a virus? Now the mask is a symbol of the cross is just the start. It's just the beginning. It goes well beyond that. But can we just start there? Take up our cross, the attitude of Christ, lay aside our rights and privileges for others, knowing that it's not even just about keeping them safe from a virus, but it's about communicating that there's a God who loves them, that Jesus gave his life for the love of them, and that the people of Jesus are willing to lay down their rights and privileges to do exactly the same thing. Now, as I close, as I just wrap up, you may be watching this and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you, you don't have a relationship with him and you, you know, church, you're not a church or Bible person. Um, maybe someone tricked you into watching this today because you thought there'd be cash and prizes at the end. My question for you is, are you willing to trust Jesus to guide you into contentment? Because listen, he wants you to find your life. Are you willing to trust him enough to lead you into a full and satisfying, abundant life by sacrificing for others instead of living for yourself anymore. Because if, if you do, if you do want to say yes to Jesus, you can do that today, and it can change everything for you. And I want to invite you into that relationship. If you're a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus. My question for you today is, are you willing to take up your cross today to see the gospel spread like wildfire in people's lives? like it did in the first century, like it did in the second century when they dealt with the plague, like it did in the third century when they dealt with the plague. And the people who didn't know Jesus just stood aback and were amazed at the willingness of these Christians to run towards people who were hurting, to run toward people who were scared, to run towards people who needed help instead of gathering up their own rights and privileges, taking them and defending them on their own, and running away from what could hurt them and take them away. Will you take up your cross? Will you have the same attitude Jesus did? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it speaks to us, and I thank you, God, that there is a message of hope and renewal. God, I thank you, too, that sometimes the message of your word 
calls me out as a follower of Jesus. And that sometimes it's easy for me to get off track, especially when I'm scared, when I'm worried, um, especially, God, when I'm uncertain about what's happening in the world. Sometimes it's easy for me to hold on tightly to the things that I know so well. But Jesus, I pray that you would help me to lay down my rights, to deny myself, and to take up your cross. And Lord, whether for me or whether for us that cross is a mask that I need to wear today, whether that cross that you're asking me to take up is just to silence myself on social media, whether that cross you're asking me to take up is to literally find ways to get out and serve, like at our Midwest Food Bank opportunity that we have coming up this Saturday, whatever it is, Jesus, as your follower, I say yes. And I thank you for the opportunity that you give me to keep saying yes to you. And I thank you, God, that even though I may step away, you're never disappointed in me, that you're always inviting me back. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for what you're doing in me. And finally, I pray this. I pray with those who don't know you and want to follow you today. And Jesus, with them, I say this. God, I'm a sinner. I can't live without you. I've screwed up so many times, and I'm tired of doing it on my own. God, and today, I give you my life, my first act in having the attitude of Jesus, the first cross I take up is to lay down my own rights and privileges and ask you into my life. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.